Welcome to the Jackets Online podcast. I'm Kevin Quinlan. Joining me is Russell Johnson. We're kind of back in action, still not quite um, fully up to our, our, our normal speed yet, but doing the best we can here. Russell's uh, doing his first pod from Georgia, but still not together. Um, and it's fall camp and Georgia Tech's underway. They've got a handful of practices under their belts now. Um, I think three maybe four, uh, I guess it's three, um, just back from Monday night's practice, actually, uh, when we're recording this, just to set the tone a little bit. And, um, yeah, it's been a fun couple of days. The team seems, um, as they've all been saying, kind of locked in and did in pretty crisp practices for the parts that we get to see. Um, got to see a lot of, uh, practice one and, uh, the second practice as well. Um, just because of some things. So uh, it, it's been interesting uh, tonight. We got about an hour. So getting to see a little bit of what's going on um, and, and getting an idea of kind of kind of what some things are going to look like. And, and it's been exciting. Um, Russell, on your front, this is kind of a weird time because it shifts away a hair from recruiting and gets a little more into to uh, team coverage. But obviously, you know, the, in the last week or so, um, there's been quite a bit of action. You had Jacob Cruz commit the linebacker from North Cobb Christian and um, and uh, the kid from Montgomery, LJ Green, committed, who I called LG Green at one point on Twitter, I think, in his Twitter announcement accidentally. But uh, I guess just kind of, you know, where, does, where do you see recruiting being at right now? We'll start with that, and then we'll work our way back to team stuff. Uh, so, you know, right now, it uh... – for a while, it, it seemed to be kind of the the wait and see game for their, what were the perceived top targets at defensive back in the corner from Denmark, Shea. I'm not going to try to pronounce his last name. And then the um, the corner from North Cobb, Quentin Nigeria. And then uh, Quentin kind of saw his, his opportunity uh, go past him, um, ended up committing to Duke. Um, and then you've got Shea, who seems to be headed towards the Ivy League, um, which is, you know, his own decision, which is um, fascinating in itself. Um, but like you said, they were able to uh, secure a commitment from, from LJ Green, the corner from Montgomery, who um, is really a little bit of an unknown in terms of the uh, recruiting circles. Obviously, he had you know, a couple other Power 5 offers, so he's not a full-on you know, what they like to call a sleeper. Um, but he, he is somebody who a lot of coaches are, are eager to get to, to see this fall. And also someone who I think, you know, after talking to some, some analysts, uh, both in the, around the Rivals Network, uh, somebody who they are eager to see play this year uh, to see if he can, you know, match his play up with his intangibles. Um, and then, you know, you mentioned Jacob Cruz, who committed last week as well. Uh, you know, Cruz is, is somebody who I believe, like you and I both said, and in, in the story we took turns editing over the past couple of months, um, he is somebody who has the ability to play all over the field. Uh, but Georgia Tech sees him playing uh, the, the linebacker position, which is something that uh, is, is exciting for him. Uh, number one, in terms of his, his frame. Uh, number two, in terms of his, uh, you know, the idea of him possibly ending up in the, the NFL down the future. 
uh, with that frame and with his ability um, and being able to get coached up by the uh, the new defensive staff at Georgia Tech, but, but especially the linebacker coach, Jason Seymour. Yeah, it's, you know, with Cruz, it was really interesting from talking to him quite a bit. He had interest as, you know, a tight end from some schools. Virginia liked him as a jack linebacker, the outside edge in a 3-4. Um, some other schools liked him like that, too. And Georgia Tech was the one that liked him as a middle linebacker and saw that potential uh, to let him be kind of in the middle of defense. And he liked that idea, and that played a huge role in him ending up at Georgia Tech. And, and um, you know, his family really liked it. It's obviously close to home. Um, his mom's, I think, in California, but it's close to, to, you know, people here. And then the big kind of X factor there, too, is his teammate, who's deciding in October, um, Gabe Fortson. And I imagine that it, it won't hurt Georgia Tech to have um, you know, a, a guy there in his ear every single day, and Jacob Cruz to to kind of pursue um, to pursue Gabe. Yeah, no, I I agree 100 with you on that. Uh, you know, Fortson is someone who is expected to to announce a decision in October, and you know he was someone who a lot of people thought were going to make a decision this summer. Um, he, he sees the the opportunity to to honor his his late father with a commitment on his his birthday, so that's that's kind of what what his plan has been for a while, uh, you know. Especially once the North Carolina visit did not take place earlier this summer, uh, Georgia Tech has to feel good about their chances. And, and like you said, adding Cruz is you know kind of like the the cherry on top. Uh, it wasn't going to to make or break the decision, the opportunity for them to get the chance to play together um, but it certainly doesn't hurt so that's sort of where recruiting's at now I, you know, I imagine they'll possibly add another defensive back like we talked about at the top Russell just had a story on Tyler Scott you can check out who's one of the targets there uh, you know quarterback still up in the air whether they even take one right now you have four guys all with eligibility remaining right now on the team um, so you know I mean It'd be very, you know, there's no telling what happens with Jeff Sims, right? And then um, Tyson Pumachan and 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 Zach Pyron and Zach Gibson, and you know, it'll be interesting to even see. Um, we'll switch gears here in a second, and we can start talking about team stuff now. Um, you know, for one example, like right now, you know, the backup quarterback situation, right? How does that play out, and does that change things? And um, you know, Jeff Sims is the guy, but who's number two? Uh, you know, Zach Gibson, I think, probably has the leg up at the moment, um, knows offense, and they view him as kind of a gamer guy. Uh, not necessarily going to blow you away in practice, but uh, can make some plays and, and has done it in games before. You have Tyson, who's, um, you know, learning the offense right now, just kind of at, at almost like a, a you know, square one for him. So, It'll be interesting to see how quickly he come, you know, gets the rust knocked off and comes up to speed. Uh, and then you have Zach Pyron, who's a true freshman, who's, you know, still kind of learning what to do. And, and um, you're probably in the overthinking phase still, I would imagine, um, that a lot of young quarterbacks get into when they make that adjust, that huge leap up from high school to college. So, you know, that's that whole, the whole game and the way the transfer portal has worked at quarterback and 
you know, really, I would imagine Gibson and, and, and Tyson are, Tyson are still here for a while, but um, just because they've burned their transfers, but yeah, it's going to be interesting to see what they do because the quarterback class is not very good right now um, for, for 2023. Um, and that's going to be, you know, kind of the interesting thing with recruiting too. So um, I, I mean, I imagine we're sort of on the same page with this that we expect either maybe a surprise QB or a portal guy at this point. Yeah, I think that's the uh, that's the the way things are trending. Uh, obviously, Colin could call at any point and you know change change his mind and then change their mind. But I don't get the sense that the, they're calling him every day, asking him what his decision is. And, talking to him about the idea of um, how much brighter his future is in, in their eyes in terms in football compared to baseball, where a lot of people expect him to be a, a top 75 pick in the 2023 draft. It's hard to pass up. So as we shift also, you know, into the, the football team stuff, um, yeah, obviously, you know, as you look at the team, there's, you know, the main thing is going to be offensive line. That's the thing everyone's going to ask about and what I get asked about the most probably on the board. And I would say right now, um, you know, I think Brent Key is going to be trying different things. They're not even in pads yet. So, like, there's a whole other element to all of this. You have Paul Tio coming off of um, off-season surgery. You have Pierce Quick and Paula Viapulo kind of with Tio in that kind of guard logjam those three guys you have the right tackle spot right now which is Jakaya Lefwich and Wing Green kind of fighting each other and you know the real sort of I think the two sort of set jobs right now are you know Jordan Williams if he stays at left tackle and then and Weston Franklin at center but beyond that I think there's a lot of opportunities up for grabs and um that's a spot where you know I, I don't know that you're going to see like somebody explode that hasn't played, but like, you know, that hasn't played before, but I'm just kind of curious, like, you know, Russell, we've been covering this now for a while since Coach Collins got here. The The offensive line situation has been just sort of um, very difficult to handicap. They've had so many, you know, medical situations. They've had um, kind of tried to backfill with transfers. They got RJ Adams and Corey Robinson to kind of, backfill two spots just um from your perspective kind of what do you see going on with that o-line situation well i think you know like you said you know they added two transfers this offseason but it doesn't seem like that's going to be the well they added they did more than two. from they the summer from, from spring yeah yeah. yeah from the spring on they added two more and, you know, I, I don't foresee that being a, a long-term strategy in terms of, you know, continuing to add players who have been in other strength and conditioning programs and have been learning other offenses, running other offenses, using doing other schemes and things like that. I don't, I don't see that really being a, a factor as much moving forward as it was this past the cycle, as you, you could call it, I guess, the transfer portal cycle where it became a, a really big need um, just to be able to have some depth and to be able to uh, stack the classes up in the way that they have been able to, like you said, with the additions of uh, Corey and RJ, um, as well as you know Pierce and uh, Paul. 
earlier in the offseason. Um, but the, the big thing is, is that they are going to prioritize, you know, high school offensive linemen. And, and that's something that is going to, to continue for the 23 class where I could see them signing as much as, you know, six or seven, depending on what they do elsewhere. Um, and then into the 24 class where, you know, it, it's going to be a really high priority, especially when you have, you know, guys coming off the board in terms of running out of their eligibility. Um, so that'll be something interesting to monitor as well as the 24 class gets up and going. Looking at the, you know, the way that they structured it, it was sort of, they took sort of a hedge, right? Because they didn't take any, they really could, we're not in a situation to take OLs in the, the first class, the 19 class they got there, there was, was really no one left available because everyone signs in December. So, you know, they cut loose the two guys that were committed elsewhere that were not, I mean, they were committed to Georgia Tech that didn't fit after the scheme change. Then you come in and you sign, you know, a, a huge O-line class in 2020, and you've already lost multiple guys out of that to medicals. Um, they're just bad luck, basically. And you lost Nick Penley, who was a guy that you projected as a, three-year starter probably for you um, to medical after playing just a handful of games last year. So, yeah, they're sort of in a um, a, uh, a bit of a pickle there. You know, they've done the best they can getting guys like Pierce Quick and, and Paul Tia to kind of try to bridge the gap a little bit and then trying to develop guys like Paula that have been in their program a few years now that maybe are ready or Ja'Kai Lefwich to, to come in and step in and play. Wing Green's a guy that's, you know, now in his third – third season I think um, yeah with Georgia Tech so you would expect to, to start to see some development there as well so that's sort of the big question there I think if you flip the script and look at the defensive side of the ball you know to me there's sort of two there's two main issues that plagued them last year one is the inability to get a consistent pass rush and get sacks right they were they just were terrible getting sacks. They got some pass rush, but not not anything like what um, Jeff Collins was known for coming into Georgia Tech. And then the secondary just played really terribly. Um, there's not really any way around that. You had a couple of good performances. I thought Miles Sims and, and Zamari Walton had a pretty decent season, but you know, other than that, it was it was not great. So I guess kind of you know. You're, you have some insight on some of these younger guys, Cal Kennard and you know, Collins and those guys. You know, can they get enough of a pass rush from that, from that group, in your opinion? What do you think about them? I think, you know, Kyle showed flashes, and he, he showed flashes kind of every time he, he's on the field. Uh, it's just a matter of putting it all together. Um, and, and Noah, I, when I was reading through your notes where you interviewed 565 kids over the weekend, um, you know, just listening to, to Noah talk about, you know, his weight gain and feeling so much more confident and, and really kind of being being ready to compete and uh, being set up for success. Um, not that he wasn't set up for success at Grayson, but, you know, his role there was so much different than than what Georgia Tech has has him doing on a regular basis. And, and with that came uh, a transformation of his body. And, you know, it, it's one thing to put on weight. It's another to, to put on weight and know how to handle it. Um, and, and it seems like Noah's starting to get towards that. Um, being able to, to see him 
you know, make contributions on a more regular basis would be a big next step for him. Um, but, but I think, you know, Kyle, um, you know, replacing some, some people who, you know, graduated, left early, transferred on the, on that defensive line, uh, being able to have that. Um, but then, but then also having a hundred percent healthy Keon White, I think kind of speaks for itself. Yeah. Keon's, you know, the one guy that, um, from talking to people around the program, just his ability to rush the passer and get after it is is really impressive. And, you know, last year he played on one leg, basically. He came back towards the end of the year, tried to play on one leg. It was not himself. So I think that, you know, looking at um, where he is and, and what he can do and that, that physical peak, because, you know, I was talking to somebody today about this, like the reality is, you know, last year, maybe if he's healthy, you know, maybe he has five, six sacks and goes pro, right? Um, and goes seventh round or undrafted free agent or something like that. With the extra time in the system and, and the tweaks, and if they are better, like maybe he can play himself into the middle of the draft. You know, like he's a freaky athlete. He's putting up insane bench numbers. And I think he's got an opportunity to, to be a guy that, you know, could really improve his stock, be like a um, a kind of breakout guy for them um, defensively. And what something George Deckett really hasn't had since, you know, Jeremiah Tachu left, which is kind of a signature pass rusher that um, can, you know, get over that seven, eight snap, sack mark. And the other thing Keon I think will do too is there's a, a, a French benefit for the rest of the defense because he's going to draw double teams and, and create single matchups for your defensive linemen on the rest of the defensive line, plus any blitzing guys, whether it be linebackers or secondary guys. I'd like to share a word with you now about our sponsor, Section 103, who bring you the best Georgia Tech clothes out there. Original, interesting clothing with the official Tech Gold and the official word mark and things that are hard to find anywhere else. I think it's the best uh, best tech apparel you can find on the interwebs. It's like the stuff that coaches wear. It's really cool. You get the AT, ATL logo that they have. Um, all the stuff super comfortable, super cool. And they even have youth sizes and women's clothes and, and are constantly adding things. I think uh, the guy who does it, I've gotten to know a little bit through uh, social media, and he just does an amazing job. Jackets Online uh, subscribers can get a discount of 10% off their first order by using the code Jackets Online, all caps, and check out section103.com. Um, great website. They have all kinds of cool stuff. And, and, you know, people for years have been asking me for cool Georgia Tech designs, unique things. Um, and even the coaches are starting to wear that stuff. You know, Andrew Thacker is wearing uh, one of the shirts at practice, which I thought was really cool and something I pointed out, not knowing that it was one of these designs. So check out our sponsor, Section 103. Great, great company. Yeah, I agree. Is there anything you're curious about, like, from – from camp so far that you, or like going into the season that you wanted um you want to ask me about well before we get to the the mandatory special teams conversation um you know I, a lot of the past couple of years everybody kind of went into the season anticipating that the the secondary would be a strength um and then each year it seemed to be kind of 
I don't, I don't know how I'm going to put this a little bluntly further and further from the truth. Yeah. Um, so, you know, with the, the staff change and Trevor Tillman, you know, coming home and, and everything, um, kind of what, what that's looks like. I know you, you mentioned some, some positive thoughts on Zamari, but um, just some of the others on the, that are there, especially some of the transfers. Yeah. So, you know, when you look at the, the corner situations, you know, they're in much better shape. You have Miles Sims and you have Zamari and Kenyatta Watson is sort of, that's your, your sort of three main guys. And then Kenny Bennett somewhere fix, fits into that, whether it's the nickel or the corner, the transfer from Maryland. And Keenan Johnson's just been a guy who's been hard for them to keep off the field. Um, and then they've added at the corner spot, Eric Reed and Amari Harvey and Rod Shelley are, are all playing corner. And they're kind of interesting guys. Um, you know, Eric Reed's real interesting because he's just a kind of big, long corner. Um, Harvey and, and Shelley are more smaller guys that are fast. It's going to be interesting. I, I like the two. I like the sort of top three or four guys at corner. Like what they have there at safety, you have, you know, Jalen King, who had played really well his first two years, had a, a little bit of a down season last year as, you know, part of that mess in the secondary. And then Derek Allen, who's um, not quite, you know, maybe shown what he can do yet. Um, and and that's going to be real interesting to, to kind of watch that progress. You have, they have guys like LaMiles Brooks and uh, uh, Bryant and, and, and Huff back there who – have been kind of guys everyone's been waiting to see. You know, Jalen Huff made a few plays last year when he came in, but those other guys, you just haven't seen a lot of them. You know, Lamaze Brooks hasn't been healthy. So I think that's going to be really interesting. The nickel spot to me gets kind of interesting too, because you have Caleb Edwards there um, who I really like. I'm very big on him. I think that might be an upgrade right now from, from the way Wesley Walker played last year. And you have kind of a competition behind him for who is it Kenny Bennett? Is it Kari G? Is it KJ Wallace? Uh, who kind of is the the number two guy at that nickel spot? Because that is a, a key spot in the defense. So I'll be curious to see how that kind of plays out. That's one of the, you know, I think they sort of have a pretty good idea of, you know, maybe the the top 30 guys right now um, in your 20, you have your 22 plus maybe eight, nine guys that you're sure um, are in the top of your rotations. But I think beyond that, a lot of things are up for grabs right now. There's a lot of guys really competing for stuff too. Like, I mean, the the defensive line and the interior is kind of wide open. Um, You've had Daquan Dows or Dowsey or whatever his name is. Um, Daquan's a great dude. Um, Just a very quiet dude. Daquan's like had – you know, had a great spring and kind of jumped ahead. Makai Scott kind of jumped ahead a little bit. Um, TK Chimesta is a guy who's played really well in the past, but, you know, has struggled to come back from a pretty serious injury to, to look like his old self. Yeah. And then you have Zeke Bakers who's a freak, right? Like, so those, those. He looks like a, a much smaller freak. Yeah. He's like 315 now. I don't know. It's 327. I think is what he said it was. Um, he looks like he's about 305. Like he looks cut. Like uh, it's really interesting. Just such a giant human being and in good shape and moving well. Um, and, and everyone's really excited about him. 
you know, you still have guys like Akilo Stone who haven't maybe shown, you know, Akilo hasn't stayed healthy enough to show what he can do yet as a, a guy that can actually rush the passer from that D tackle position. So, and then you have the two freshmen, right? Like, and, and people like to ask me about them, Horace Lockett and, and, and KJ Miles and, and what they're going to do. I have no idea. Like, I don't think anyone knows yet, you know, that until they get the pads on and see what those kids can do, I think, you know, the, it's a pretty wide open situation there. So, um, yeah, there's a, a lot of kind of interesting things. I, I sort of like where the team is depth wise. And I'm actually a little bit bullish on the team at the moment, um, which is not what I expected to feel like going into, you know, camp in this kind of weird on the outside view is a little bit of a lame duck season for Jeff Collins. Um, they might be better than people think, you know, the schedule sucks. So like, that's a problem, but um, they, they might be better than people think. Like, I, I don't really know how to explain it, but I have this weird feeling. And of course the most Georgia tech thing ever would be for, for Jeff to save himself and, you know, um, go bowling and, and, start to have like a little bit of momentum because uh, that's just kind of the way things have been. I, you know, a lot of guys have gotten to the stage of execution over the years. Uh, Brian Gregory did managed to do it through different means, but you know, I, I, to me, like I, the best case scenario for Georgia tech is for Jeff to win right now and to, for them to get that figured out and have a, the big thing for me and the big thing that fans want to see too is a product that's enjoyable to watch, right? Like, you know, an offense that's functioning well, a defense that's fundamentally sound, special teams that can kick a field goal and, and not implode on themselves. And if you do those things, I think you can win people back. I still think there's people kind of pulling for for Jeff to, to figure this out. And, and you know, it's I like Jeff Collins. He's, you know, a different kind of coach than uh, a lot of other people I deal with in this business. But at the end of the day, um, I think his plan can work. It just has to, he has to be able to show people that they've made the progress, right? And the three wins last year didn't show it, but there was progress. Like I was at the games and then at the end of the year, they just kind of looked like they rolled over when the Notre Dame game started to go sideways and then Georgia just punched them in the teeth. But um, the schedule's not really set up like that this year. I mean, they'll still play Georgia, but you come out, you play Clemson, who's, where was Clemson ranked today? Were they four? Yeah. Preseason poll? Yeah. So somehow that is unbelievable to me. Like, um, based on what I saw last year and, you know, what I've seen of that, what I've seen of that offense and quarterback play and all those things. So, um, you know, as many people as questioned Jeff Sims and what he can do, I'd say you could put on his 2020 film with basically no preparation where he was healthy and he played pretty well at times. I don't know that DJ has that film at Clemson. So, um, yeah, he had the two matter of time before he loses a job. Well, I mean, he had the two games where he came in for Trevor Lawrence or whatever in the COVID year in 2020, they played well, but you know, other than that, that seemed like they were trying, it seemed, it was like watching like what Georgia tech tried to do with like Jeff Graham, where they were just protecting him um in games and, and having the literally the most conservative game plan possible 
So I, I have a lot of questions about Clemson. You know, the, the the first four games will be real interesting. The Western Carolina game on short rest is interesting. And then, you know, at UCF and Ole Miss is not exactly a cakewalk. So um, it's it, to me, it'll be an interesting season. I, I sort of don't um, – I guess I would like to see people get more excited about what's going on, but I sort of understand the trepidation to piece of it. Yeah, I just think they don't want to uh, kind of go through the same thing they have the the last few years. They're they're ready to see that that next step. You know, they they want the team to to be the the Atlanta Braves. I guess if you want to compare it to baseball, they don't want them to be the Detroit Tigers, where you know you get all these famed prospects and high high rank farm system and you make a, a big couple free agent signings and, and you just still can't do anything with it. Um, you know, there's, there's been obviously a lot of, a lot of hype, a lot of um, big time additions this off season, whether it be based on their recruiting rankings, but whether it be based on the, uh, the schools they're coming from or the, you know, notoriety behind it. Uh, there's there's been a lot of discussion about Georgia Tech this off season, and you know, you can face it. I mean, a lot of it's been been negative. Uh, there's a lot of um, people who are not as sold on Jeff any longer as they were even this time last year. Uh, so, in order for them to get their hopes up, I think you know a lot of people will need to see it with their own eyes. Uh, you know, you said you were impressed by. The, uh, the the practices you've been able to see so far, uh, but maybe once the the fans are able to see that, once you know they have fan day and all of those kind of things, uh, that's maybe when the opportunity comes for you know so, so a new level of optimism, um, whether it be on the message board, on social media, um, combinations of both, you know, in person communications, uh, just anything like that, to where there is that excitement, especially. You know, playing on Labor Day, there's there's literally going to be no other football on. So there, a lot of kids and a lot of you know households are going to have almost no choice but to put on the Georgia Tech Clemson game. And you know, it's a, it's a great opportunity to to show if you know how things are going, or you know, show how far things you know still have left to go. All right, let's uh, kind of wind things down here, Russell. Um... Any kind of baseball news going on? Anything interesting going on with the well, baseball team? Every every per, every player that got drafted, whether it be a high school signee or one of the players, you had you had Andrew Jenkins, you had Trace Gonzalez, Kevin Parada, Chandler Simpson. Um, you know, you had Chance Huff, Marquise Grissom Jr. Um, you know, the the list goes on. Tim Borden, uh, you know. The, the team really got hit hard by the uh, the draft. And then you lost J.P. Wheat, who was a late pick by the Cubs. It was really kind of just a, a lottery ticket, but they, they figured out a way to cash them in um, by going under slot on some other kids. That was one that, um, you know, I really kind of enjoyed kind of digging into that one. I actually got to talk to J.P. Uh, before he, you know, officially signed, where he told me that, you know, he was really excited about his opportunity to be committed to Georgia Tech for so long, but the opportunity to to be in the Cubs organization, and I'm sure the the money didn't hurt very much either. 
Um, and then they also lost their, their catcher signee, uh, Lamar King. Um, really going to be, um, uh, I wouldn't say a race against the clock, but you know, time is ticking for them to, to figure out what they're going to do at catcher next year. Uh, that's really the, the big thing. Um, but then the continued um, hot summer for you know, Logan McGuire, Cameron Hill, and, and Christian Campbell especially. Um, you know, a lot of, uh, I wouldn't say expectations are on Christian Campbell at this point, uh, but I'd be very surprised if he wasn't in the opening day lineup uh, next year. And then whether it be McGuire or Hill, um, I think one of them will more than likely start uh, opening day next year. Cool. And then um, just a, a quick thing. I know you said we're, we're kind of running out of time here, but, um, you know, you mentioned Micaiah Scott. And then um, obviously, you know, Nate McCollum is the other one who wears number well, eight. We didn't, yeah, I didn't talk about uh, eight eight day um, today. Yeah, I was I, I was hoping to get some uh, some candid thoughts from you on on the event today and kind of uh, not really not an event, but you know, the memorial and uh, just the the moment that Georgia Tech was able to to have today. So it was nice. They had a you know a lot of speakers. I, I documented a lot of it on the website. There's video out now of it as well. Um, you know, I only knew I only covered Demarius for the for his last season at Georgia Tech, so I didn't have you know the same relationship with him that I have with a lot of other players. But he was always very kind to me, even after he left. And and um, it was emotional. Like I was a little emotional watching the thing. Peyton Manning um, got a chance to talk to him afterwards. He was clearly emotional, like even talking to us in the media scrum. He had, he was kind of hiding it behind some sunglasses, but I was standing sort of to the side of him, could see like that he was, you know, definitely feeling his emotions there. It was great to see Morgan Burnett and, and Josh Nesbitt again. Nesbitt, um, I had a much closer relationship with because I covered him for two years plus after he left. So um, it, it was really well done, um, you know. I think they did a great job with, with it. It was hotter than hell out there, but um, it was cool that they're going to do something every year. I think it's amazing that the Payback Foundation that Peyton Manning and his wife Ashley started are endowing scholarships for these kids from Lawrence County to, to come to Georgia Tech. They had five of them um, for this upcoming school year. And I ju I'm just, it's amazing. And I'm really excited. Um, that they're turning this into something to 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 represent this guy who had this just unbelievably sad story. I mean, he came from literally the worst possible circumstances growing up, um, just from nothing, and you know, having family incarcerated and and just a really tough life. And he was just such a great guy, and everyone loved him, and just a big heart. And he he really felt for kids and was like really engaged with helping little kids and boys and girls clubs and things like that. And that was the one thing that, um, that I appreciated too from talking to Jeff Collins was like, they were doing a charitable aspect where they're going to go to the boys and girls club every year and, and go spend time with those kids as a team. Thing. And I, I think that was really special too. And, and, you know, it's, it's just so sad that someone like that could, you know, lose their life at 33 years old. Um, with his whole life ahead of me, he had just finished playing football, you know, like he had all these years left to do things and, and um, it's just tragic. Yeah, I, I 
couldn't couldn't agree more. Obviously, I don't. I never really had a uh, relationship with Demarius. Just watched just him. And, yeah, yeah, yeah that's right. Just throw the ball. That's right. Too. Yeah. Now you know they I, they also mentioned uh, something about the you know, you know the two players who are going to wear number eight. The um, are they going to? Yeah, is that going to that's going to be something they do yearly moving forward? Yeah, so the way it made it, they made it sound is it's going to be like an annual thing. Todd Stansberry said that he wants it to be a special thing that guys earn, and 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 Coach Collins talked a little bit about both of them and why he thought that they um, represented things in a way that were appropriate to to Demarius, and and those two were were great examples of sort of selfless teammates. Um, which is what Demar- Demarius is a guy who got people got to remember he he was you know a first round draft pick in a triple option offense where he blocked you know eighty five percent of the time like and did it was an exceptional blocker like and got drafted because of that in part along with his amazing hands and his receiver skills but he was he went after blocking just as hard as anything else that he did in his career and. Those are the things that, that they're looking for in the guys that wear those numbers. So, well, I think that wraps up this edition. We're trying to keep things tight um, and trying to be back more regularly. We should be back next week with another episode. Um, this has been the Jackets Online Podcast. Also, Johnson, I'm Kelly Coleman.